Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Last week, our text was also Romans 9, 1-5, and I gave some indication of the pivotal, the pivot point that this text is in the book of Romans. And I want to get into that a little deeper today. Um, But first, let's hear the word of God, which is eternally true, Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will feed us, that everything I say and everything we think will be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the Apostle Paul has been teaching the believers in the church in Rome the wonderful gospel of salvation through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Not by works which substitute the works of man for the works of God. And what is the work of God? It is to believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And through that, to have his righteousness imputed to us. The Apostle Paul then is also taught the nature of this life of faith in Jesus Christ. That it's hard, that it means dying each day, all day long, as we take up our own crosses and follow our Lord who carried his cross. The Apostle Paul has shown the comforts and the assurances there are for us as we die all day, every day, that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, nothing at all. Now, normally, when the Apostle Paul finishes the first part of his letters to the church of one city or another, which generally is doctrinal, he moves into practical commands to do this and to not do that. Commands that are to some degree a fulfillment of the doctrine that he's just given. And we see this repeatedly in his letters. First doctrine, theological, deep truths, and then the practical ethical commands which naturally flow out of that deep doctrine. Given this truth, here is how we must live. So now we've gone through the first eight chapters of Romans, and yes, they've been the deep truths of God. They've been theological, telling us of the work of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. They've been high, and they've been holy truths. And they have taken our eyes and minds and attention from lower things and put our attention on things above. Now then, given the habit of the Apostle Paul in his letters, we would expect him to move into things here on earth, to commands to do this, and not to do that for this and that reason, flowing out of the heavenly things we've just learned from him. And yet, this is not what the Apostle Paul does here, and it's not what he does for the next three chapters. He does do this later in Romans. But here we hit a a bridge part of Romans that is three chapters long, chapters one to eight, 
Then chapters 9 to 11. And here he opens up and responds to a great scandal. Now, what is the great scandal that he's responding to? The scandal is that the overwhelming majority of God's people, the Jews or Israel, have not put their faith in the Messiah. Spoken of as an ethnic group, the Jews did not believe in Jesus. Instead, they murdered him. You remember that at the end of his life, Jesus looked out over Jerusalem and mourned the unbelief of his people, the Jews. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you would not. Behold, your house is left to you, desolate. And I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If I may be allowed a personal note, that's... That's one of the most poignant moments in all the Gospels for me. Because when I hear him say, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I hear him say, oh, Timothy, Timothy. I hear him say, oh, Wheaton, oh, Wheaton. I hear him say, oh, Presbyterians, oh, Reformed. And a lot of my life has been filled watching as those to whom the promises have been given turning their back on God, your children, your grandchildren, your brothers and sisters. And here in our church, think of how many, when they've been admonished and corrected by the elders and by the older women of this church, have hardened their heart. And that's what I think. The life of a pastor is very sympathetic to Jesus saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And it's not that the ministry doesn't have joys. It's not that there aren't many in Jerusalem that love Jesus. He fed the 5,000. But taken as a whole, taken as a whole, that was not the Jews. If I were to sum up the relationship between Christians and Jews in 2020, what I would say is that we are incapable of recognizing the wickedness of the Jews and their response to Jesus because we're so afraid of being judged to be anti-Semitic. And so we just fall over ourselves trying to show that we're not Nazis, that we're not anti-Semites, that we, we understand that Jews aren't as Jews bad, you know. We're all falling all over ourselves to prove that we don't think women are bad, we don't think blacks are bad, we don't think Asians are bad, we don't think 
Well, yeah, actually, we do think whites are bad. But, and, and yeah, actually, we do think Christians are bad, but we certainly don't think Jews are bad. And so what we've done is we've turned our, we've turned our backs on the central reality of the Jews with respect to Jesus. And what is that reality? What's in Matthew 27? Pilate said to them, the Jews, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? Christ, who is called Messiah, the anointed one, who is called Christ. What shall I do with Christ? And they all said, crucify him. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, crucify him! This is the Jews. And when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people, this is the text of God's word, all the people said, his blood shall be on us and on our children. And then Pilate released Barabbas for them, but after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. You know the pressure's on you to deny that you're anti-Semitic today, right? It's even worse than being a racist. I mean, you could say it's being a racist, but it's a whole separate category that has a whole separate group of people vigilant to catch you in any slightest thought that has to do with the Jews. Can you imagine what they would say if you put up on Facebook well, they said his blood on them and their children. I mean, think about it. Facebook, you say that. You're a Christian. And you say, today, when it comes to the Jews, I think it would be helpful for us to remember that they said crucify him and then said his blood will be on us and our children. <laughs> Come on, people, laugh. <laughs> you think Facebook would let you say that? It's just scripture, he said innocently. And so here's my question for you. In the post-Holocaust world, have we finally arrived at the point where we've progressed into understanding Jews like they've never been understood before and loving them more and being more concerned about their souls than people used to be. People like Luther, who was anti-Semitic, supposedly. Do we really believe that when it comes to people who are dead, that we are more enlightened than they were? I mean, isn't that foundational to the existence of every Westerner today? that we're all absolutely convinced that we can judge our fathers and mothers because they were racist, they were sexist, they were anti-Semitic, they, they were, they owned slaves, you know? They were slaves, they allowed themselves to be owned, you know? Oh, we are just so conceited, <laughs> 
so conceited, so smug, so complacent, so sure of ourselves, aren't we? And so coming back to the Jews, let me ask you this. Do you believe that because nobody ever quotes this text from Matthew, from the gospel, this text that's true, do you believe that because nobody quotes this text and helps everyone to understand the condition of the Jews today through this text, do you believe that shows that we've arrived at a point where we love Jews more, are more understanding of Jews, are more compassionate to Jews, and have a better ability to preach the gospel to Jews? You know that's what you think. You know you think we've arrived at a point where no longer is the church blaming the Jews for the death of their Messiah, to put it succinctly. And we're all smug about that. We think it's so good, right? Thank goodness nobody quotes that passage in Matthew anymore, (laughs) you know? I mean, our pastor read it one Sunday. I remember that Sunday. That was 47 years ago. I trembled. His name was Tim Bailey. I mean, probably in 100 years, this is the 100-year flood with the Jews. To most of you, you'll never hear it again. You've never heard it before. And isn't that good? Because now we're not anti-Semitic. I can't see your faces. I can see yours. Right on. Now, let me, let me, I've got, I've, 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 I've cut into you with the scalpel, right? Let me cut in a little deeper. Let's say that you were a Jew. Okay? Let's say that you were a descendant of Jacob, of Israel. God renamed him Israel. And let's say that you had been present that day with Pilate when you screamed for the blood of Jesus and then you said his blood will be on us and in our children. All right, are you all with me? And let's say that you 10 years later committed adultery against the wife of your youth. Okay, okay. And when you committed adultery, you were devastated. You were devastated. You had always known you were a sinner, but the level that you knew it now and felt it made both being awake and being asleep, a torment to you. And so you went to the Apostle Paul as Nicodemus went to Jesus at night. And you couldn't believe as a Jew that you were going to the Apostle Paul, but you went because you knew that he didn't he didn't flatter anybody. You remember what Nicodemus said about Jesus? You know, we know that you're, you know, because you just, you, you say the truth, right? And you went to Paul, and you went to him at night, and you said to the apostle Paul, how can I be saved? 
how can I be born again? And the Apostle Paul didn't pull out the four spiritual laws for you. Well, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But the Apostle Paul said to you, open up your sin for me more. And so you confessed committing adultery. Okay, you actually confessed it. You said to him, I cannot bear myself. And he said to you, do you know that God forgives sin? And he opened up all of the Old Testament to you. That the theme was constant. That the one thing God was committed to doing was forgiving sin. And you knew all the texts. You were a Jew. But now they were applied to your filthy sin. And your heart beat fast within you. Now I'm going to split it in half here. And I'm going to give you two roads that diverge in the yellow wood. And let's take the one more traveled. And at that precise point, the Apostle Paul said to you, now, I want you to understand that all Jews are Jews. And I want you to understand that yours is the covenant. Yours is the promises. Yours is the adoption. Yours is the law. Yours is the temple service. And so God, in his mercy has given a path to salvation to you Jews, to us Jews, that is just beautiful. We have always been the people of God. And don't you doubt it. Satan's an accuser of the brethren. And you're brethren. And of course, that's what the entire evangelical world is saying today. That's what the entire world is saying today. The entire world is saying that the Jews have a separate path to, to salvation. It's parallel to the Christian path, but nobody would expect the Jews to commit genocide against themselves by believing in the Messiah. That would be to wipe them out as a people. What meaning would it have to be a Jew or to be an Israelite if they believed in Jesus, right? And so the whole world says, you don't need to worry about it. You were God's people long before Jesus Christ came along, and you'll be God's people long after Jesus Christ comes along. God is a God that forgives sins. God has made a covenant with the Israelites. All Israel is Israel. And so your sin is forgiven. That's the meaning of Yom Kippur. That's the meaning of the Passover. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Isn't this what's said in your synagogues every Sunday? And so that's the one side, guys. That's, that's two roads diverge in a yellow wood. That's the road more traveled. And here's the road less traveled. The Apostle Paul looks at you and he says, You think that's awful. He said, you know that I persecuted the Christians. As a matter of fact, what, what Jesus said to me as I was persecuting him, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? He said, I went from city to city, throwing them in jail. I held the cloak while the first martyr, Stephen, was killed. 
That's, your daughter is nothing compared to my persecution of Jesus Christ. Now remember, you're a Jew. And you're like, I wanted to talk to you about my soul. I didn't want to talk to you about my ethnicity. I didn't want to face being a Jew. I just want you to tell me how can I be right with God. And he says, well, I'm explaining to you that Jew or Gentile, everyone comes to the Father through him. And you say, no, 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 I can't accept that. I'm a Jew. Jesus isn't the Messiah. This Messiah wasn't going to be a suffering servant. And he says, oh, yes, look at Isaiah 53. It's very clear. And you say, no, no, no. He is the kingdom and lineage of David. And that's no brokenness and weakness and suffering and humiliation. (laughs) That's not the Messiah we were expecting. The Apostle Paul keeps working with you because he loves you, because his heart goes out to you. And he's telling the truth in Jesus Christ. And you keep rejecting Jesus. And you want to get right with God without Jesus because to accept Jesus as a Jew is the ultimate humiliation. I mean, it's just nasty. Because it's not just accepting Jesus, it's accepting Christians. The dirty going. The church is filling up with Gentiles. And they're dirty. And Jews are special. To them are the promises and the covenants and the da 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 da. And so the Apostle Paul, it's clear he loves you. It's clear that he's concerned. It's clear that he knows the Old Testament better than anybody does. And he goes on and on. And then he comes to the point where he looks at you and he does the thing that absolutely none of us would approve of, <laughs> you know. <laughs> none of us. He looks at you and he says, well, did your father say his blood will be on us and on our children? God has hardened your heart. Now get out of my room. I am done with you. Don't you dare say to me that no godly preacher would ever do that because we know Jesus commanded his disciples to do that if a city wouldn't receive them, shake the dust off their feet. You remember this. And you know that the apostles did it. And you know that Jesus did it. Right? And so the apostle Paul cites the word of God, which records Crucify him, crucify him, his blood be on us and on our children. As a prophetic judgment for all eternity on the soul who refuses to come to Jesus Christ. Okay? Are you all with me? Two words diverge in a yellow wood. And which are you going to take? You're going to take the two-covenant theory? You're going to condemn supersessionism? Or are you going to look full in the face of this man that you have come to love as he's confessed his adultery? And you're going to realize that he's a living demonstration of 
God's judgment on them and their children. Because you realize when he says that, leave me. You are a heart of heart. Your parents called down God's judgment on you and you're a living manifestation of that judgment. You realize that if you have to choose the people on that side and the people on this side, which side loves that Jew? Oh, come on, answer. I can hear you with your mask. This man loves the Jews. And those people don't give a rip about the Jews. Those people only care how they fit into social media and whether people view them as compassionate and as loving and as racially sensitive and non-racist and all that utter filth hypocrisy that you all spend your time reading people posturing about. And so here's the truth. The truth is everything the Apostle Paul has written in the last eight chapters has made him subject to the judgment that he hates the Jews. That's what everybody thinks about the Apostle Paul. He is, after all, the apostle to the Gentiles. He's a turncoat. He has gone from persecuting and killing and holding the cloaks of those who kill, the people opposed to the Christians, which are the Jews, to being the principal preacher of the Messiah to the Gentiles. And he has explained for the first eight chapters how you are not saved by keeping the law. You are not saved by any act of righteousness. The righteousness that lives by faith is the external foreign righteousness of Jesus Christ. Only faith in Jesus Christ and his righteousness can save you. You are not saved by being a Jew. He screams it in Romans chapter 2. He says, not all Israel is Israel. And the more he says it, the more people condemn him for being anti-Semitic. And they set the Anti-Defamation League on him and trash him on Twitter, trash him on Facebook. And you're watching... And you have to ask yourself the question, who loves the Jews, the Apostle Paul or all the people trashing them? The Apostle Paul feels this incredible tension. He feels it. He knows. He knows what everybody's judging him as being. He's just an anti-Semite. He's a Jew hater. And so, knowing what they're thinking, he says this. He says, I am telling the truth. And he goes into a series of couplets which are as intense rhetoric as you can get, okay? 
the match pairs emphasize what he's trying to get across, right? He says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. And then this one, he adds a third. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. That, okay, this is what he's saying is true, that I have great sorrow, and then it's a couplet, and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Do you see back and forth, back and forth, in the most intense way, he is saying that he is not an anti-Semite, that he is not a Jew hater, that to the contrary, he is telling the truth. He's not lying. His conscience with the Holy Spirit testifies to him. <coughs> and here is what he says, that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. The Apostle Paul loved his people, the Jews. He was not gloating over them. He didn't dislike them. He didn't hate them. He it wasn't anti-Semitic. But he was no flatterer. And the thing we're going to see all through the book of Romans is that the Apostle Paul is absolutely firm. Absolutely firm. In loving and in not twisting the truth even a little for the sake of his reputation. Do you see this? And so he goes on and he says, separated from Christ. You remember that Moses says this. You remember after they've sinned at the bottom of Mount Sinai, that Moses goes back up to God after cleansing the, the, the horrible mess. He says, the next day he said to the people in Exodus 30, you yourselves have committed a great sin and now I'm going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And then Moses returned to the Lord and said, this is what he said to God, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a god of gold for themselves. But now, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out from your book, which you have written. That would be the Lamb's book of life. So he's saying, if you won't forgive them, damn me. I would rather you forgive them than have salvation. Well, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying here. I could wish that I myself were a curse, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption of sons, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises. Whose are the fathers, and from whom? And this is the final stitch, okay, in the seam. And from whom is the Messiah according to the flesh, the Christ, the Messiah. In other words, not only that, but the one in whom salvation resides, Jesus Christ, is a descendant of these Jews. And so the Apostle Paul here is giving all the reasons that the Jews have the blessings of God, all of them. 
the adoption, the covenant, the promises, the temple service, all the, the sacrificial rites, the law. They have the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And from them came Jesus. And listen, there are Bible students who look at this and they say, see, the apostle Paul is showing that they still belong to God. He calls them brethren. The apostle Paul only uses the word brethren to refer to Christians in the New Testament. They're fellow kinsmen. And they don't add that according to the flesh, right? You know, that would sort of. <clears throat> and so there are many people down through the ages who have said that the Apostle Paul is showing here that the Jews, even those who have rejected Jesus, still have a parallel covenant. It doesn't come through Jesus, but it is parallel and it does arrive at the same place, which is salvation. And they use all the blessings that are listed here. You know, the promises, the they use all of this to show the Apostle Paul was telling them, you're okay. All right. <clears throat> now, what is the main problem with this? Well, it's very simple. It's very simple. The main problem with this is he says he wishes that he could be accursed. The Greek word is anathema. Excommunicated, damned. And what he's saying is he wishes he could be damned if Jews could be saved. It makes no sense for him to say that if the Jews are saved, and the second half of this text proves it. What on earth would he say that for if the Jews aren't in trouble? <laughs> you know, it's just insane. And so why are people doing this? <clears throat> A little story and I'll be done. In my father's Sunday school class, 50 or 100 people, and, and they were leaders, you know, they were missions presidents, you know, the president of Wheaton College, Hudson Armoring, Ken Taylor, Ken Hansen, service master, all these people. Uh, Clarence Hale, professor of Greek at Wheaton, um, Ray Knighton, medical assistance programs. In that class was a man who was the number two pediatric surgeon after C. Everett Cooper. Not going to tell you his name, but he was in that class. He was at Children's Memorial, what's now called Laurie Children's Hospital, the place associated with Ronald McDonald that they attacked this last week where Jonathan, my grandson's wife, has been saved. <clears throat> Praise God. And he came to this class with his wife. His wife was godly. She was a Christian. She was a believer. She was effervescent in her faith. She played the piano Sunday nights when we had hymn sings. Um, wonderful piano player. Um... But she was a Rita Cuffey married to Jimmy. And by that I mean that this, her husband was just a complete and utter rationalist skeptic. So if, if the Sunday school class was on the crossing of the Red Sea, he would, he would say, couldn't that have just been a drought? And couldn't the water have been shallow? And of course, all the Christian leaders would go, well, that's heresy. And my dad would say, okay, you've named it, now let's discuss it. So he loved my dad because my dad was chilled, you know. He was like, okay, Mr. Skeptic, I'll see you one and raise you ten. 
right? And they had a really good relationship. They were good friends, right? He wasn't a believer. His wife was. So jump forward. I go to seminary. Mary Lee and I take a church up at Wisconsin. And the General Assembly, the PCUSA, is being held in Indianapolis. And so we go down to Indianapolis, and we need somebody who knows how to type. I didn't know how to type at the time. And so we ask this wife if she'll come and help us type. And so we spend a General Assembly putting out a daily newspaper, and she types up all the, all the columns, you know. And it's very sweet. She's probably in her 60s, mid to late 60s at the time. Maybe early 60s, I'm not sure. The next year, she comes back as a commissioner, which means that she had switched churches and become an elder at that other church, okay? Women elders in the PCUSA, right? And, but she's an evangelical. She's been at college church in Wheaton most of her life. She's had Joe Bailey as her Sunday school teacher. So she comes back the next year, and the big issue on the agenda the next year is a two-covenant theory about Israel, about the Jews. It's an initiative that's calling the denomination to say that the Jews have a separate parallel path of salvation from the Gentiles. And that Jews don't need to come to Jesus to be saved. It's, you know, very long, you know, like Missouri Presbytery's bloviations, you know, they go on and on and on and on and on. It went on and on and on about how the Jews didn't have to come through Jesus. Okay? And we were so excited when this woman was put on the committee. Because we had an evangelical on the committee, and an evangelical would say no to this stuff. And so we'd find out every day how the committee meetings went, and she would tell us how the Lord was working. And thank you for your prayers. And oh, at the end, she said, God has done a miracle. We have a wonderful paper to present to General Assembly. So it's their job to perfect the paper, right? And so we're excited. You know, God's answered prayer. And we read the paper. And it's just absolutely too covenant. And this woman thinks that God has answered prayer. And it's too covenant. It says Jews don't have to come to Jesus. And listen, from that moment on in the ministry, I be woke. I be woke. Okay? It was so, so distressing and discouraging and depressing and all Wes McHenry's D words. You know, it was just like debilitating and despicable and I could keep going. It was awful, so disappointing. Set that here. There was another man in that church named Russ Reed. Russ Reed uh, was a Jew who had believed in his Messiah. He was the voiceover. He'd done some of the original uh, voice work at WGN down in Wrigley Building, you know, and, and he was probably in his 70s at the time. And he'd go running with the senior pastor of Fourth Pres, you know, right at the water tower there, that big Presbyterian church on North Michigan where all the fools were rioting, okay? And uh, 
he was close to the senior pastor, and they'd go running together, and he read this paper that the assembly went on to adopt. And he was talking to me, and he said, yeah, I went running with pastor so-and-so, and he said, I told him I'm leaving his church. He said, can you imagine? Russ was very sophisticated. Trust me. Lived there right, right on the north side of Chicago in those buildings that have men out front that are there to open your door for you when you stop. And Russ said to this senior pastor of Fourth Press, he said, can you imagine my denomination telling me that I don't need to believe in Jesus. Don't you think you're above falling into the same trap? Everybody today wants to show that they are not anti-Semitic and not racist and not sexist. Would you please be done with it? Can you imagine what the New Testament would be like if it was written by one of us? You imagine if I was the Apostle Paul, all the flattery and all the half-truths and trimming that would be deposited, stinking to high heaven in the New Testament epistles. The Apostle Paul is faithful, and he loves his people. And he did not trim one millimeter off the coin of God's truth. Okay?